0: Hi everybody, thanks for tuning in and welcome to our first fashion podcast, the Bureau of Fashion 411. On the panel, we have the Bureau of Fashion team, myself and Joan. Hi guys! And here we have Sylvia and Barry from Omnalytics. Hi guys. So we're going to be talking about the future of fashion retail for our very first episode. Analytics is a data company that provides analytics and insights to fashion brands. So tell us more about what it is that Omnalytics does besides my brief introduction.
1: <laughs> okay, sure. So um, we are a fashion analytics company. Uh, we provide and fashion analytics and insights uh, to fashion retailers and brands, real-time market intelligence to help them make better decisions such as how to mark down, how much to mark down, what to produce, what to design. How do
0: you measure, what are your key markers? How do you measure this? So you mean like how
1: do we acquire data yeah, and acquire the data. process, right? So what we do is that we monitor websites around the world. So today we are monitoring about 75,000 brands and about 150 million products on a daily basis. So we pretty tech-heavy in that sense, so we monitor that on a daily basis. We take down all this information from the internet. So we monitor e-commerce websites. Okay. We take down this information, we process them, and then we visualise in a format that is easy for our end users, which are fashion brands, retailers, merchandisers, to look at and see, okay, if I'm pricing my top at this price, what is my competitor doing, and should I be changing my price or not? So. When it comes to like the data points, we are taking down pricing, you get to know pricing, colours, when it's launched, when it's marked down, everything is tracked in that sense.
0: So mm. when it comes to the, the sites that you're monitoring, mm. they're global?
1: Global, global, yeah. So we're monitoring, I mean, home-based Malaysia, of course, but we have monitoring uh, the bigger, um, I guess, like fashion capitals, right, uh, the UK, US, and, Essentially, any website in the world you want to monitor, we can do that. Can you tell us some of your clients? Sure, I think Barry will be the best to maybe bring up some of it. One of them, Rai. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, so um, our clients range from the really micro SMEs to the SMEs and even to the larger enterprises. So, for the um, as Silva's mentioning, for the SMEs, we've got people like Rai, who's this really small one-woman designer brand in Singapore. So when she called us, it was, she was like basically, guys, like, I, I'm, I'm just a pure designer. All I know is designing and marketing. You know, I don't know anything, anything else. Can you help me in terms of how to decide my assortment, how to do my pricing? And not just to deliver insights, but deliver value in, in ways that they can actually turn that into action and it helps the business. So, and from the same data set, we also help clients uh, with entirely different problems. So clients like Adidas and Fragamo, Adidas who just wants to know what Nike's up to, for instance and Fragamo, who just wants to have a handle on the entire online luxury space in Singapore. So it's um, data is always just a tool. It's, everyone's asking different questions from, from this data. Uh, so it's how you apply that tool to get the answers that you want.
1: Yeah, I have an example to add as well. Like locally, we have Hermanas, which is like bo- uh, which is by Bokita Hijab. So they wanted to like, you know open up a new market and they use our data to help them guide the design for their hijabs and they started with like what 7k capital for that line and it grew to about what a million million rigging within a a year and so those are just like testaments and really proud stories that we have about like how if we help these i guess like design focused people to bring the data in to make better decisions it can really like create you know magic (laughs) it's
0: interesting because like coming from a fashion standpoint like they're creative people and you're making sense of what it is that they need when it comes to like hardcore numbers. So what are some of the key findings that you found? found? Like, what are Malaysians buying into?
2: I'd like to answer that in uh, two different ways. So our key findings are tailored more along the lines of what are the retailers doing. So retailers we found have made a lot of missteps. Like you said, in, in fashion industry being such an emotional kind of thing, mm-hmm. you rarely think about numbers. Um, but the numbers that we have found is that businesses sometimes spend like at least 1,000 person hours each year just on understanding what the market's doing. We call this comp shopping, yeah, competitor shopping. So basically when you send the buyers to the ground to go into this shopping mall and then see what people are stocking on the shelves and all that, that's comp shopping. And they're wasting over 1,000 man hours on that annually. And that translates to, what happens is that because you look at what people are stocking, not necessarily what people are buying, Mm -hmm. that means that your production is gonna be screwed up because of that. So they end up producing wrong colours, wrong sizes, and we've seen impacts of over a million ringgit lost every year. on or Lost meaning dead stocks. Mm-hmm. Stocks that really cannot jalan. Stuck there. Uh, and of course that leads to having to do markdowns, you know, having to really push down the margins and take losses based on that.
3: Back to the hijab one, I saw your infographics on, like, the top hijab brands in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see, like, how some brands, even though they are maybe on a higher market side, but because they markdown so much or because so many of their stocks are on sale, it brings them down to, like, tier two and... Yeah, so it's very interesting That's very interesting that
1: you think that you brought up because the traditional way of com shopping is that you go to the store, you touch and feel, and as a human, you can only take in so many data points, right? Even if you get an intern to go on your competitor's website to calculate every day how many they're launching or whatever, it's very, very limited. But with technology, with the amount of data that we're monitoring, right, you start seeing these kind of strategies that the naked eye just won't be able to see, and it gives so much advantage to you if you have the kind of awareness in the market. So like you correctly pointed out, right, a brand might appear to be like, you know, constantly sold out, have very high pricing, seems to be premium, but you realise that they actually launch at a discount, right? So yeah, those are the very interesting things that we find out sometimes. Yeah. For online shopping, has it really changed the way we've been shopping? Changed in terms of the way we're shopping? Yeah, because like, I, I was so, reading this
0: yeah. article online and it said like, the amount of returns have increased because there's been like you know free shipping and like free
1: returns.
0: so like I want to know do you guys have any insight to that?
1: Um, I guess in a sense you know like those are the directions that, that tends to happen right when when a the, when the country you know takes on e-commerce, online shopping there's a lot more returns, but at the same time it also means that the market is a lot more competitive, right? So whatever that we sometimes read on the, the, the news about how people are very impatient, they want to see now and buy now, it's the same in Malaysia. And i give you a very, like I guess, personal experience. I'm online, I'm Googling for sustainable active wear, right? I find out that there's this really cool brand called Girlfriends Collective in the UK. Yeah. And I want it now, you know? And so, you know, just coming from a Malaysian perspective, it's just so much more competitive. And I guess like from my own experience, it's, it's we are more demanding these days. We are not limited really by, you know, what we have here, if we, we have the means, we try to ship it in. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, I, in a sense, you know, I've, I've seen that change, even myself even my friends, yeah.
3: Yeah,
2: and <clears throat> to add to that as well, um, the point is that customers are more informed now more than ever. So, they've got so much more choice than they had maybe even three years ago. And what they want is they want the right product, right? They want the, Yes, your product has to be correct. You've got to have the right product at the right price at the right time, it's going to have to be the right market fit as well. And even t- timing especially, let me, let's take timing, second, timing as an example. If you have the perfect product, and it's at the perfect price point, but if you're just too early to the trend, no one's going to be buying it. Mm-hmm. Even a week later when the trend finally comes, because you've launched it the past week already, everyone's forgotten you already. Okay. So you just have to have it at the right time. And so like as Sylvia is saying, when she wants something from Girlfriend Collective, she needs it now. And if they don't have it, she's going to look somewhere else that does have something that's sustainable, wear at a price point that she's happy with. So it's all about, for, for, for better or worse, it's all about appeasing what consumers want right now. Mm-hmm. And you've you got to know not just what your competitors are selling, but what the consumers are buying. Also.
1: What, are, what are some of the popular trends or styles that people are buying? Yeah. I think one of the things that's it's on everyone's mind is really like sustainability, right? Going back to the roots and that kind of thing, we see a lot of like rattan, snake skin, snake print, you know, so I, I don't think it strays too far uh, from from the, the global trend, if you think about it, as I just mentioned, you know, um, today we are all connected on Instagram, right? Something that I see today, I want it um, right away, where right? I see it on the runway, I want it right away, but it's just about them. Can the local retailers keep up? Can they can they pick that up fast enough and then bring it in to meet demand? That's a different story.
0: Okay, so yeah. basically
1: Malaysians are shopping the same way as a shopper from the States.
2: No. No, they <laughs> no, are not. Uh, Malaysians are... Um, Slow. I feel like it's still very
3: traditional in the sense that Correct. they still prefer to go inside a store to touch and feel. To oh, shopping behaviour so. is it? Yeah.
2: Shopping behaviour, um, no, online shopping has picked up. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it, we can't say that, it's. we, we can't make a, blank, uh, a blanket statement that Malaysians still prefer to shop in stores. Uh, a lot of online retailers are doing pretty well, even in the current. Downturn, right? Uh, so people like Zalora and Pomelo are killing it, and these guys are these guys are based on data. I, I I hate to be to this horn over and over again, but like they they Zalora, for instance, has like a wealth of data in their own dashboards internally, where they analyze like everything also, and Pomelo also is like trying to do some something similar to that. So the guys who are winning are really people who can react the fastest based on the information that that they have on that. Um, Sorry, now, now back to the point about um, what are people buying. Yes, Malaysians are slower, Malaysians are more conservative. Um, even those trends that like say for instance, like Vogue's Spring Summer 2018 trends, mm. is still in trend in Malaysia until now. Pastels, you know, it's like very, very, very safe one. No, but then at the same time also there, you mentioned conservative, right? So there are trends that were pulled, like highlighted in the US and the UK that will never make it here. Sheer, for instance. Or like, trench shorts, of course. La, hot, ma. Mm. right? Uh, pencil skirts did make it, so pencil skirts are still kind of trending. Uh, um,
3: we can wear it for uh, Yeah, from,
2: very safe. Yeah. Pencil skirts, uh, we're seeing uh, some asymmetrical skirts coming up also, mm-hmm. in terms of trends. Uh, there is another, uh, that's another style, I can't remember. But uh, um, In terms of tops, uh, I also observed that reds and pinks for blouses seem to be, seem to be coming up so more loose type of fits not the fitted kind of shirts
0: when it comes to trends Malaysians are a bit behind when it comes to jumping onto the bandwagon but do you think we're catching up at least like we're warming up to more
2: Mm. the way i see it is that you know how trends reach Malaysia from the US and from the Western markets. They'll go from Western, then maybe down into Korea, Korea adds their own spin on it, and then it comes down to Thailand or whatever, and then Singapore, then only Malaysia adopts. Mm-hmm. Oh, if Singaporean bloggers wear it, then yeah, wear it. Okay. So I don't think that's going to change much. I don't think we're going to jump straight to, to immediately immediately think what's in the Western market. But perhaps that, that the time it takes for that trend to go through all the whole route, perhaps that could be compressed. Lah. Because again, with uh, the speed of how fashion industry is moving now,
1: and I guess Malaysia's yeah, yeah. a blanket statement as well, right? So we know like urban population will always be faster, Fast, yeah. yeah, right. And then outskirts will be a bit slower, a little bit more conservative. But I guess the general picture is that Malaysians do tend to be more conservative. But with the yeah. social media and everything, the the demand is yeah. can be there. But it's just by compressing yeah, the timeline.
3: But speaking of conservative, what do you guys think of modest wear? Because I know modest wear market is booming and. It's one of the most talked about um, uh, sections globally. Not even, not only in Asia or uh, Malaysia. What do you guys think about that?
2: So our last report that we did, we estimated the size of the um, just hijabs alone mm. to be worth about two billion. Uh, and it's it's something that a lot of people are trying to catch, uh, tap into also. So, hijabs, for instance, I think I would have to separate hijabs from, from modest way in mm. total because hijab is such a Malaysian phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, the fact that people are willing to pay hundreds and even thousands of ringgit on hijabs is something that you won't see in Indonesia, at least not yet. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a very celebrity driven thing, but even in Indonesia, there are a couple of celebrities who wear hijabs, mm. but it's not like, I don't know, it's not some, for some reason, for some cultural reason, it's not the same as, as it is over here. Uh, so that's uh, that's a market that we haven't seen translate outside of Malaysia yet.
3: So even Singapore and Brunei not so much as well
2: uh, Brunei yes, Brunei mm. is closer uh, Singapore, not yet, yeah, not so. Mm. Um, but Mosphe as a whole yes um, everyone's trying to get into it, even dNG also like how does <laughs> like uh, international luxury houses they're trying to tap into it, but um, we noticed that. Well, not, 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 not us at Omnitics, but people have noticed that they don't translate that very well to relate to the, to the consumer that they're targeting. So that it ends up looking like a cash grab from the consumers. Like, okay, I'm going to produce more sweat because I want your money. Mm-hmm. But because of the lack of tradition, that, you know, they've always been known as a European fashion house and all that. So there's no ties to, to them. It looks a bit, I guess, gimmicky. Uh, I haven't seen a, a European brand that has successfully, um, I guess, translated that. Mm. It,
0: it, I I foresee that it can it can
3: look quite disingenuous.
2: Mm. Yeah, the, the cultural
3: great. boundary. <laughs> mm. But not that there are brands like Bathsheba and all that are like thriving in oh. that market in the US. It's good that you know, like Gucci has like appointed
0: like us diversity director that mm. kind of like brings in like more Inclusivity
2: <laughs> uh, Do you think it's a bit like too little too late though? I They had that think thing with that turban remember?
0: Yeah, yeah but uh, we're not too late than
3: never the never, yeah. Right? <laughs> I say, yeah
0: Um, I think bigger brands are learning Um, so unfortunately some of them the hard way mm. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good step forward lah mm. So Speaking of stepping forward, what are your predictions for 2020 and beyond when it comes to shopping, like trends?
2: Um, in terms of trends, uh, well, you tapped on one that was quite apt, sustainability. Uh, I don't think we are there yet for Malaysia. I don't know how long it will take also. But it is something that we're hearing more and more of, especially even in Singapore. And of course, when it hits Singapore, eventually you come to Malaysia also. So, um, people are getting aware of sustainability, not necessarily because like, oh, I want to save the environment and all that, but because there's just so much wasted stocks. Inventory sitting on the shelves all the time, right? So, that's something that people are starting to be a bit more aware of, that we have to produce better, and we have to produce fewer, but sell more. (laughs) You get what I mean? So, the sell-through rate has to increase Like in other words. Um, That's something that, is on the sustainability side, and then also we're seeing that manufacturers are getting into the game more, so cutting out the middlemen and the retailers and then, uh, the factories are the ones who if they can if they can know what's coming up and if they can produce fast enough to meet that need, then why do you need a top shop All right so that is a shift that I'm seeing as well
0: there's something that I also noticed. Um that people are buying into values. So, like, if brands, people don't buy into brands who don't have, who don't share the same values as them. I'm not sure if this is translating into data, but it's something that I've been seeing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like when, for example, like with backlash and like fashion brands. Um, but not just that. Like you know, if if I notice that brands that are that use dead stock, for example, and People that are very into sustainability, they buy into that. They buy into that idea. So I'm, I'm wondering if that translates into numbers and, and like purchases. Is that
1: something that you see or no?
2: No, <laughs> no, no at least not in, uh, seen in Malaysia, nah. What do you okay. think? Okay.
1: I guess I could approach that answer from the angle of the fact that those brands have a clear commercial mindset in a way that they know their brand identity. So what we've seen with, you know, talking to different retailers is that a lot of people jump straight into starting a fashion brand because it's all glitz and glamour, right? But they they tend to often neglect the the part about like, okay, you first have to have a strong brand identity, then only you build your assortment on top of that. So brands like that, I guess they attract their consumers because they're very clear with their their voices. clear of the brand identity, that they know what to produce and what not to produce, and that inevitably led to better decision made.
2: For the Malaysian brands, the Wing Thai brands are doing pretty well as well. So there's Topshop, uh, Miss Selfridge, uh, Dorothy Perkins, doing decently. Those guys. Um, and of course, if you want to consider Zalora Basics, because they push so hard on that, and they're priced so competitively, mm-hmm. and they do very well. So.
3: But Pomelo is judging, because I know they're based in Thailand, mm-hmm. so Stock-wise, it's glow like not just Malaysia. Mm. Is it regional or?
2: It's regional. So we're seeing about ninety percent sell-through, sell-out for them uh, across all their markets there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And Pamelas also ava- available on Zalora. Yes. Yeah. What about equally
2: high sell-through as well? Okay. Mm.
3: What about sorry, luxury fashion brands um, internationally?
2: Okay, so not Malaysia, not. You mean not retailing in Malaysia? Retailing in
3: Malaysia. So, so brands that are available in Malaysia but not Malaysian Hmm. brands.
2: Um, The ones that we're seeing is uh, Gucci is still strong, Dior is coming up, Uh, uh, the luxury fast fashion. So, guys like Off-White. But Off-White is tricky to separate also because of the resale market. Mm -hmm. So, very big on the resale market. Um, and a lot of counterfeits.
3: Mm, That's true. So but
0: when it comes to luxury brands, people are still buying into like shoes and bags more than ready-to-wear?
2: Absolutely. It's... um, Maybe, I don't know, Is this something that maybe you can answer as a a a lady consumer. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Mm, Yeah, I mean like, bags are always... Yeah, the timeless and classic. The
1: timeless and like you know, it's it's like if I bump a back with a friend at an event, it's not as bad as bumping into like an outfit, well, right? Yeah. And with with the guys like you know, Miss Miskata, who are so good at taking you know monitoring the market, mm-hmm. taking those data and producing it at a cheaper price, right? You see Kim K wearing it one day, and the next yeah. day you can buy it, right? So you know, it's, it's a mix of luxury and non-luxury these days. And I guess like yes, shoes and and bags are are easier to translate across, I guess, different seasons, different events, different, yeah.
2: Mm, do you think it's also because of the durability of
1: mm-hmm. shoes yeah. and
2: bags because they can tahan longer?
1: Yeah, mm. at least they
0: can last through seasons and years and if you juggle them, yeah. they don't
1: last forever. Really. Yeah, yeah. So, so durability in that sense, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I can wear it like mm. any, most of, for most of seasons and events, yeah.
2: Mm. But then with the luxury fast fashion guys, they can sell sweatshirts and T-shirts, hmm. Supreme T-shirts. And they don't last more than, what, 20 washes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, but again, that is catering to what the consumer is demanding at that exact point in time. Hmm. Um, I think there was uh, the report that Farfetch just recently acquired that new fashion group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so the, if you read the report, it's quite interesting, the, the reason for them doing that. And the fact that they can bring something from concept to, to retail within three weeks made in Italy, <laughs> it's like, it's all, the, even the luxury landscape is shifting also
1: already. Mm, yeah. It's all getting very very fast. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of luxury
0: landscape, with Barneys officially, uh, yeah, filing for bankruptcy, mm-hmm. that kind of just shows like, you know, if you don't adapt
1: yeah, things. And I was all just the sharing target. the other day, Boohoo has bought Nasty Gap, right? Mm-hmm. Has bought uh, Pretty Little Thing, mm-hmm. has now bought uh, two more UK brands, Karen Millen and Coast. Wow. So they are oh. entering into you know, higher price point, older target market. And these guys, which DNA is in e-commerce and in speed is in data, are eating up like mm-hmm. fashion.
0: That's all the time we have today. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having oh, us. Nice. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in.